Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. Welcome back. I'm just saying hi to you because we're both in our respective homes due to the shelter order. And uh, I know, I think the first time we've recorded a pod, just us, and we're not actually in the same room. Yes, that is true. Different procedures for different times. So this is going to be dropping, I believe it's Tuesday the 30th, possibly, maybe the 31st. I don't really know. I don't have a calendar. The days have kind of blended together. We gave you a little break last week on the 24th, and we really wanted you to hear Dr. Jackie and the innovative programming that she was able to kind of help along with so many other people uh, create for the fall in so far as getting directors of special education the training for on-the-ground response. And if there was ever a time for positivity, it's definitely (laughs) been these last two weeks. So this is your COVID-19 update. We kind of let things play out a little bit before we sat down. Background music for that, like COVID-19 update. We want to assure you that today's pod will focus on two main objectives. The first part is to give you information as to what is out there. I know that a lot of people have messaged us on Facebook and Instagram, and there's been posts about what is or isn't going through the Senate, what is or isn't going through state legislatures. So we have some information on that. We want to kind of give you what is happening. And then we want to kind of switch gears to talk about practical ways that if you're an educator, you can be helping. If you are a parent, you can be helping. If you're just an interested party, you can be helping. So we want to be able to focus on how do we move forward rather than just scaring the living daylights out of you. (laughs) So hopefully it does that. Absolutely. So kind of being like more preliminary is obviously the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, was responding to the outbreak of COVID-19, also known as the coronavirus. And there was an interim guidance for administrators of U.S. child care programs and K-12 schools to plan, prepare, and respond that the CDC made available mid-March. And basically, it was just questions and answers. And it was kind of like, immediate, right? And this was specifically for children with disabilities during coronavirus. So that was just something that was very quickly put out. And basically, it was just saying, if you are closing your school, but then move to distant learning, virtual learning, remote learning, whatever you want to call it, then you need to grant that same access to children with disabilities. So we have two types of things going on. We have accessibility, which is what we're talking about right now. And then we're going to kind of get into the obligation of a free appropriate public education, specifically in California, because of the boss moves that Governor Newsom has made. So what were your kind of general thoughts about the question answer? It was only about nine pages. Very quick, right? I mean, just really kind of 
quick. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in some ways it's important to leave a lot of leeway to school districts on how they're going to go about making sure that kids have access because certainly what can be done in, you know, say Orange County and Huntington Beach is going to be very different than what can happen in a rural county um, in another state. And so, you know, I think they wanted to be very careful. Like the idea is we want to provide kids access, but like we can be very creative. I mean, if you think about it, any given school district has a number of administrators, educators, people on the ground that are not in their classrooms right now. So they can be utilizing these resources, right? You have a number of staff that are, you know, have, and I'm not saying time on their hands in the sense that they're not doing anything. So obviously they are doing something, but if you're not in the classroom for eight hours, you can be really focusing, especially these first couple weeks on how can we be innovative? How can we really think outside the box? Like it doesn't need, and it may not be something that the same thing is happening in every school. It may need one school may have Chromebooks that can go out to every kid, but then maybe they need to rotate in another school. Maybe they don't have Chromebooks and they need to provide access a different way. So, you know, I think it's really giving this opportunity for schools to be innovative and try to reach out to their neighbors, reach out to other educators. You know, we have a wonderful community of educators, I think, online that people can be reaching out to. So my hope is that we take advantage of this. Yeah. And I mean, the question and answers was really just going through a couple different scenarios of whether, like in California, the schools are closed pretty quickly. So part of it was going through, what if the child with a disability is, you know, sick for an extended amount of time and doesn't, you know, and that was under the scenario that your school is still open, but, you know, you have a child with special needs, you know, you're supposed to obviously provide educational opportunities. We have home hospital and things like that. Then it kind of went into you know, if your entire school is closed, you could just be closed and that's fine. But if you were to provide the distant learning, then you need to make it accessible, which was what Amanda was talking about. And then one of the other ways that it kind of touched on a couple of different things and like Amanda had also said, allowing like that flexibility, it did have an interesting paragraph where it said, if a child does not receive services during a closure, a child's IEP team or appropriate personnel under Section 504 must make an individualized determination whether and to what extent compensatory services may be needed consistent with applicable requirements, including to make up for any skills that may have been lost. This is where we're going for part two, or not part two, but like where we're going insofar as, okay, what is all this talk about waving faith, right? So this is a key component in that if a lot of school districts are like, oh man, are we going to have a lot of compensatory education that we're going to need to give out? There are waivers, right, Amanda, that they can ask right. for. Well, where all this started with the idea, and we've been getting a lot of questions about the waivers of faith, the waivers of IDEA, all the waivers. So this is where it came from. And there's actually a document issued by the U.S. Department of Education, the Office of Civil Rights, came out and issued a report the other day because they felt the need to clarify a few things because there's been so many rumors flying around. It started out with basically school districts nationwide are taking steps to protect the health and safety of their students. And so a lot of them in that, just like we were talking about, are closing the physical campuses and are moving to a virtual and online education or what we've been terming coining distance instruction, right? 
But what's happened in the last two weeks is that uh, many educators have been reluctant to provide any distance learning because they believe that the federal disability law prevents presents insurmountable barriers to remote education. So this is what schools are saying. They're saying, well, if I provide, so like the rules are, if you provide distance learning to anybody, you have to provide it to everybody, meaning children with disabilities or special circumstances. So they think, well, if I do that, it's going to be very difficult for me to get the instruction to my kids on IEPs. And so the thought is then, well, then I'm just not going to provide anything because then I don't have to worry about violating the law. So this has been a misunderstanding that has been going around circulating communities all across the nation. And so OCR, Office of Civil Rights, and the Federal Department of Education wanted to really make clear that this is a misunderstanding that they should not, schools should not opt to close or decline to provide instruction at the expense of students, that they need to be making decisions to consider the health and safety, of course, but then they also have to still comply with the IDEA. So this is where we get into whether or not school districts are required at this time in this special circumstance to still comply with the IDEA. The Department of Education, U.S. Department of Education, for right now is saying, yes, you do. You absolutely do. Where the conversation about waivers has come about is in this tax relief bill that Congress is putting forward. There have been a few members of the Republican Party who have tried to include provisions into the relief bill that would allow certain waivers. Now, we want to be clear because this has not been passed. This is still, we posted on our social media a little bit more information from COPA about the language that is trying to be proposed. And I know that there's a lot of anxiety about this, and so that's why we wanted to kind of make clear. So essentially what the language that's being proposed, and again, has not been passed, is saying is that states would have the ability in their individual capacities to request a waiver of FAPE or IDEA rights for the time being in which the schools are in using this distance learning model. So if schools resume in the fall, these waivers would last just until then. There is talks about whether or not it could last for a year because of the compensatory education piece. But for right now, the main discussion is whether or not these waivers are allowed, right? right. And so if a state does request a waiver, then Secretary DeVos, Secretary of Education, has the ability to then bring those waivers to Congress to say, we need to allow these. And she has the judgment to do that. So obviously, we don't want to give her any judgment to do anything on her own. That's not good. That's why we want to make sure that Congress knows that this is not a good provision. It should not be in the bill. But I mean, basically, on- you're saying there's like multiple steps before that yeah. even happens. Right. So-, so we're encouraging, of course, call your Congress members and all of that. But the first step is to look at what are your state and local governments doing? Because there are a lot of states out there, California included, that have taken a stand and have specifically said, we will not be requesting waivers. So if your state is not one that has already come out and either done an executive order or made a pledge, they're going to protect IDEA rights. Now is the time to contact them because they're on the ground floor. So, you know, obviously we don't know the ramifications of if these waivers, you know, do exist and if this bill does pass, because 
you know, when we think about the waivers, it would be from the time that the schools essentially close until the time that they reopen, right? So I know that we're getting questions about, well, what if we already had a case? We had some claims, there were issues even before this happened. Well, ideally, you would still have those claims. Those wouldn't go away because that was for a time period that happened before these school closures. And then anything, of course, that happens in the future. So the future goes to what Vicki was talking about, about the commensurate education. So when all this is said and done and we go back to school and schools are physically open and IEPs completely resume to the form that they were at, where are these students going to be? But- How far have they regressed? Right. And all of that into what kind of compensatory education are they entitled? Now, we know under the IDEA, based on some recent cases in the Ninth Circuit, we're entitled to comp ed if there is a gap. So would a waiver eliminate this ability to get comp ed altogether? So these are all questions that are happening. They're all hypotheticals. There's nothing. And there's no point in focusing on that. The point of today is that the time is now to be as collaborative and innovative with your IEP team as possible. Everybody after these, you know, it's by the time you're hearing this, you know, we've been in this for two weeks. I think that that's a reasonable amount of time for a lot of the state educators, administrators, and just at the local level schools to have discussed certain, you know, because, you know, you may be sitting somewhere and you're like, well, nobody's even contacted me about distant learning. Like now's the time to start that paper trail, to reach out to as many people as you can via email, because I haven't heard of a school and there may be some, but I have not heard of a school that is just on an extended spring break. So that means nobody is working. Um, Our experience is that there have been most school districts here in California. I know that you might be in a state that's not like this, but are going to work um, and are trying to figure out this new and innovative way to have children be taught. Right. And specifically, so you know, if you're not in California, we encourage you to go to the website for your state department of education and your governor's office, see what they're saying, because many states have issued at least guidance. In California specifically, Governor Newsom did issue an executive order that talked about the fact that school districts are still receiving federal and state funding the same way that they were receiving before. So basically what he says that means is you are required to provide distance learning. Like you can't have this shutdown. Like if you have spring break and you have one week of spring break where you're dealing with, let's figure out how to do this distance learning. That's one thing. But in California, essentially his executive order says that schools need to be providing something. So specifically I wanted to kind of mention three sectors that his executive order talks about. And so This not only talks about what the school district's obligations are during this time, but gives you a little bit, if you're in California, some relief as to the waiver piece. So the California Department of Education and Health and Human Services Agency, it says, shall jointly develop and issue guidance that shall include and not be necessarily limited to the following topics. And so he lists three main points. The first is implementing distance learning strategies and addressing equity and access issues that may arise due to differential access to internet connectivity and technology. The second is ensuring students with disabilities receive a free and appropriate public education 
consistent with their individualized education program and meeting other procedural requirements under the IDEA and California law. And then three, providing meals to be served in non-congregate settings as school and non-school sites in a manner that protects the safety of both students and school personnel. So one thing to keep in mind is essentially what this executive order is saying is with regard to students with disabilities, everything in terms of what your rights are and the obligations of the school district is still continues. So if you requested records from your school district, they still have that timeline to, to comply. If you requested assessments, now granted the assessments might need to be conducted a little bit differently. If you requested an IEP, we might need to do IEPs telephonically. But for now, the way that the executive order is written is that things should continue. It just needs to be a little bit different. We need to think a little bit outside the box. So that's what we're going to get into about how can we go about this? Because I'm sure, and I know we've gotten a lot of people who, you know, are educators who are doing everything they can to try to figure out how to do this distance learning. And so, you know, we obviously understand this is something new and it's different and we have to figure it out and we need to give schools time to figure it out. But these obligations still do exist. Right, and I misspoke. I had said the CDC had released the question and answers. It was the Department of Education responding to CDC's kind of response regarding the COVID-19. But basically, you know, it was just guidance, right? And that's where this question and answer, that's where it was just like question and answers, more questions. It really didn't. But each state is supposed to start answering those questions. So Governor Newsom said in during one of his many conferences the week of the 17th or the week of the 16th that his task force was going to be led by the state education board president Linda Darling Hammond and that the state schools superintendent Tommy Thurman they were working on guidance on how to continue to provide services for students with special needs who are truly most vulnerable. So this is, you know, he knows, okay, I got to punt this to people that understand it. Let me create this task force. We're going to be able to kind of figure out what we need to do for this special population. So that's one idea. If your state hasn't done that, try to get a task force initiated. I was just saying, get the people whose specialty it is to figure out how we can be innovative. And this goes back to Dr. Jackie, right? Like she was getting people that were really, you know, and something, you know, else that, you know, at least California, but our California Department of Education on the 17th also published online learning resources for schools and families. And they had made a promise, if you will, that the state plans to update its guidance to schools. So they're getting information from a lot of the local, on the local level. What are you guys doing? And they actually had a webinar either on the 17th or the 18th. And, you know, it was trying to figure out how these thousand school districts that are serving more than 6 million K through 12 are going to do this. And 7,000 people viewed this webinar and basically it was led by Ben Cheetah. He's the senior advisor to Newsom and he's the liaison with schools on the coronavirus. So I think he kind of opened up the webinar as facts change on the ground. Keep in mind that our North star is to do what calls you to this work and we will have your back. So here, at least in California, we have people that are really going to be focusing in on the education of all of our children. And I think that that quote really sums up that 
California will respond to the needs of the children here in this state. And so one of the other people that had ended up kind of initiating directives was Wesley Smith. He's the executive director of the Association of California School Administrators. And he basically was like, we have to change our paradigm. I would encourage us not to be overwhelmed by the guidance. Instead of thinking about what we are being forced to do, let's ask the question, what can we do? What is practical? What is doable? And then what support do you need? And basically, California will have your back. They will provide you with that support. It was a really great webinar. It really, you know, focused on distant learning. It focused on school meals and special education. So similar as to what Amanda had outlined, Governor Newsom wanted to address, right? So distant learning, a lot of school districts, a lot of our clients have indicated that a lot of schools have already started with distant learning. You know, it might be uh, packets. Some other ideas that were talked about at this webinar are teachers doing phone appointments, being setting up visual face-to-face as best as you can, virtual face-to-face with their students. And, you know, throughout this entire meeting, they were really just focused on encouraging districts to find those innovative ways to provide lessons. They also had a great emphasis on, you know, equal access doesn't mean that all students receive the same material in the same way. I think that that's super important to understand. I think a lot of times people think it's a one-size-fits-all approach, and it's not typical. I was just kind of telling everybody you know, the next steps that people should be taking with distant learning and how equal access doesn't mean that everybody needs to receive the same material in the same way. And this just doesn't go to children with special needs, even though under the law it is required. But a lot of the phone calls to students, you know, face-to-face virtual meetings, you know, or face-to-face meetings with social distancing being required, and that California has essentially had their backs. Some other stuff that they kind of put together which was very interesting, but a lot of the links to the resources and best practices for online learning included one from the Riverside County Office of Education on how to start from scratch. So if you don't have any experience with online learning, the Riverside County of Education apparently has the best practices. There's also online learning by Westlake Charter School, the Miami-Dade County Public Schools, plan for emergency learning and our very own Los Angeles Unified's partnership with PBS, which was to provide programming for all grades. This was beneficial for, you know, children that don't have Wi-Fi or have a home computer. Some of the things some of our districts have done is provide a laptop with Wi-Fi within it. Some other innovations, actually this was Kristen Wright, the director of the state special education division, said that South Carolina actually is using school buses to deliver food and lesson plans to homes and as a way to serve local internet hotspots. So, I mean, there's so many people, we can do it in so many different ways and so many people have such great ideas and we just implore, you know, those local school districts, even if you're just feeling overwhelmed, like, 
we're going into week three of this and we really need to like the beginning of this webinar started you know what is our goal you know we are responding to this nobody's ever done this before we get it right now it's time to kind of dig in deep and really be innovative and that's why we are encouraging our parents to reach out it's not a time to be hostile it is what it is and the only way we can get through this is together and you know if they're being soft with you, there's no need to, you know, just say, I understand this is a trying time, but I really need answers because my child is blah. And some of you have more than one child. We totally get it. It is the most trying time for a lot of people. And we just have to be able to think outside of the box. And California, at least here in California, has, through the leadership of Gary Newsom, indicated that, hey, school districts, we got your back. So the sky really is the limit, which is totally exciting for us. This is all we've ever waited for is, is to try to get school right, districts to be innovation Because, you know, one of the biggest critiques we've had about the education system is just that we're using such cookie cutter systems that have been used for years and years and years that are not working for our differential learners. And I hope that this provides an opportunity for us to see how kids can learn in so many different ways. It doesn't have to be pencil paper tasks. There's so many things. And like, I know I had, you know, I'm seeing that, you know, some parents are really reaching out to, you know, even their service providers to say like, Hey, you know, I know you've given me a packet of stuff, but you know, I don't really feel comfortable or qualified to really teach this packet. Like, can we do, you know, little sessions, you know, even if it's just a five, 10 minute, like call with the parents to kind of walk through how, you know, tips on how to give instruction. Like there's so many ways that we can do it. We just need to try and be open-minded to different techniques. And I know that we've started sharing on our Instagram and our Facebook, it, any place that we're seeing suggestions for distance learning, more innovative strategies. We're trying to post as much as we can. And we really encourage you as our listeners to do the same. If you have a school or a school district that is providing something that you think is really unique, or you have a teacher that has provided you something that seems, oh, this really seems great. Like, please share it because our network of parents and our network of teachers and our network of administrators, like, We need to be coming together. There's no need to say, oh, well, this is working for us. Like, we're just going to keep it to ourselves. Like, this is a time to share and try to spread because, you know, the hope is that if we see different ways of learning outside of the school environment, we can then eventually incorporate it into the school environment later. You know, I do really want to encourage teachers because I know that a lot of schools, I've reached out to some teachers who have said, like, hey, we're just waiting, like, our administrators are making decisions. And so you may be sitting at home with your kids and not be given much instruction. I mean, you're trying to do what you can for your students. But, you know, thinking about the fact that there haven't been layoffs and cuts for the most part that we've seen in schools, schools are still operational. It is your duty to reach out to your administrators and say, look, we need to be acting because, you know, that is something that you can do. You know, obviously you can't force an administrator's hands, but as much as, you know, we want parents to encourage administrators and teachers, like, here's some ideas. Let's try to get the juices flowing and figuring it out. Like the teachers are really going to have to step up. And I know so many teachers already are, but just that that's something that it may seem like a huge thing to do, right? How do we innovate and how do we figure this out? 
Um, it just one thing at a time. Yeah, and if you're taking home of your kids, that's okay. <laughs> like, if you can't be there for your students, that is okay. That is something that Amanda and I have been grappling with. It's been very difficult to be in self-quarantine, you know, and having the school district shut down and everybody be in shock. Like, this isn't meant to guilt anyone or make anybody feel less than adequate. We are literally all trying to do the best that we can. Right. And especially with schools being shut down and that being a form of childcare and food. I know a lot of districts have been setting up with the food, which is great. But, you know, that childcare aspect, you know, the call here in California was if you are a medical professional, you know, and you have children, you know, please reach out to your village to see if people will take them in. I know, you know, teachers don't have that same benefit, but your work still matters. And we do appreciate everything that you do. But there is also some things that we can do, even if it's just igniting that idea and calling someone at the district who, who may be in a different position that can help to really have that focus not be lost for all of our kiddos. I mean, obviously, Obviously, Amanda and I are talking in specifics about special education, but the majority of what we have talked about with the webinar that was put on by the state of California is dealing with all children. And, you know, that is the point of our nonprofit, the Inclusive Education Project, is education. Oftentimes, Amanda and I talk about, you know, throwing it all out and, gosh, be careful what you wish for. We are definitely (laughs) in a different realm, but, you know, we just really wanted to get on here and kind of discuss these bigger things. There's going to be more of this that we're going to do. We're still going to pepper in some of our pre-recorded iPods podcast, which is why it's called a podcast because it originated on an iPod. Remember you had an iPod and you would listen to these casts that were on the pod. So anyway, little knowledge for you guys. I have too much time. Actually, I just, yeah, if you're sitting here, I know like we talked at the beginning of this episode about how some of these misconceptions came about because it seemed overwhelming the problem that exists. I think if you can really break it down and try to do one thing at a time, it really helps. So like if you're a fourth grade teacher and your typical curriculum revolves around English language arts, written expression, social studies, science, art, math, maybe do one at a time, right? Look at an ELA lesson. What were you going to do this month? Can you break that one piece down? You know, it doesn't have to be let's give cram the students with a hundred percent of what we were going to do in the classroom. Like that's not the point because that's going to overwhelm everybody. It's going to overwhelm you planning. It's going to overwhelm the students, it's going to overwhelm the parents helping the students. Right? So if we can start with one kind of instruction, one kind of lesson at a time, I think that is easier to manage. It's, you know, we got to take this one day at a time. You know, Vicki and I have been sitting here the last couple of days just trying to figure out, you know, where we're taking with our cases and everything and the podcast. And, you know, we're basically taking it one week at a time because so much has been changing every day, every week. So that's kind of a good strategy for trying to break down and, you know, figuring out how do we manage this. It's like, it doesn't need to be 100% of everything, but it needs to be something, you know, so start there. Exactly. And I just really wanted to give a shout out to EdSource, John 
Fensterwald, who wrote an article, California School Districts Learn More About What State Expects During a Long Shutdown. Basically, all the information that I was telling you guys about the Ben Cheetah, the senior advisor and liaison to the schools during that webinar is basically where I got all the information. He did a great job of kind of pointing out the three key topics that they delved into and just really was able to present it in a succinct way. Ed Source writers Carolyn Jones and Diana Lambert and Zadi Stavli also contributed to the article. So we really appreciate the focus that people are giving. We are going to bring it to your attention as best as we can. We are going to also, like I said, not try to inundate you with COVID-19, but try to just keep you well informed. So definitely call your senators, call your local state governments, and just call your schools and call your schools and try to keep sane. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Yeah.